Do you like all things spooky? How about chilling stories that have you reaching for the covers? On this podcast, we're going under the covers to delve into all things from chilling haunts to your worst nightmares. I'm Morgan. And I'm Emily. And this is why we don't don't sleep sleep alone. alone. Welcome back to our podcast. How are you doing today, Morgan? I'm doing good. How are you? You know, I'm doing. I had a rehearsal tonight. Fun. So I'm As exhausted. usual. Mm-hmm. I also finally got my bedroom set up from moving. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And New apartment vibes. Yeah. And fun fact about uh, getting my bedroom set up. I got these pillowcases for it. And when I originally went to Ikea, I wasn't expecting to get pillowcases for my bedroom. I was going to get pillowcases for the living room. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited about it because I've been waiting like months to buy these pillowcases because yeah. I haven't had the money. As one does. Yeah. And we got there <laughs> and they only had the color pillowcases. Like they only had one color of the pillowcases that I needed. And I needed three different colors. Ooh. And I had a full on like breakdown in Ikea mm-hmm. because I was just looking forward to these pillowcases. Again. As one does. Yeah, and, like, I had a lot writing on it because, like, uh-huh. I have nothing good to look forward into my, like, life currently. I mean, that's a lie, but, like, at that moment. But, like, pillowcases are yes, pretty important. I had tunnel vision, and I was, like, it's the only good thing in my life vibe. is these pillowcases, and they didn't have it, so I had this huge breakdown about it, and Dylan was, like, babe, it's okay, it's just pillowcases, and I was, like, no, you don't understand, like, I really, really wanted this specific look for the living room. And then I was like, can I at least get them for the bedroom? And he was like, yeah, you can do whatever you want with the bedroom. So then I got them for the bedroom, and they look a lot better in the bedroom anyways. But I can't wait to see it. I still haven't been, yeah. and it makes me really sad. That's where I'm at. Have you had any breakdowns this, um, this week? <laughs> the bigger question is if I haven't had any breakdowns <laughs> this week. Solid. <laughs> Love that. Actually, today was a pretty good day, so can't complain. Can't complain. Okay. I am. Unlike the man that we're going to be talking about today. <gasps> Segway! Yes! I feel like we always have one of those, and every time they get me so excited. <laughs> today we're going to be talking about Charlie Brandt. Um, so, Homeboy is just weird. He's just a weird guy. But the fact that he was pretty sick... Well, I'm not going to talk about that yet. I'm going to let you... St- simmer on that thought oh we're actually gonna start way further back in charlie brandt's case and we're gonna talk a little bit about like his early life okay so in february of 1957 charlie brandt or carl brandt Mm -hmm. was the second child of herbert and isle brandt um they were two german immigrants who originally settled in texas and then they ended up moving to Connecticut, which they ended up moving a lot because of Herbert's job. Um, so with that profession, he like Brandt and his older sister, Angela, and their two younger sisters ended up having to like move quite a bit and kind of reestablish their life every single time that they went there, which as a kid kind of sucks. Not going to lie. I only had to move schools like once and I moved in between the years of sixth and seventh grade. So it really wasn't that bad. But like, you know, in middle school and and whenever you are in school, it's kind of like traumatizing because you're like, I don't have any friends. How am I going to make friends? Who am I going to talk to? I'm the new kid. But like, 
Yeah. For some people, like Bella Swan, it works out. <laughs> Unlike me, who went from homeschooling <laughs> to public schooling in seventh grade. That was a fun culture shock. That I'm was fine. Fun, right? I'm fine. No, he's fine, too. Um, so Brant in school was really um, admired as a good student. He was kind of, like, shy and kind of, like, kept himself, but he never really, you know was loud or boisterous or you know any caused really much trouble as a child yeah um and he did show kind of like some difficulty um in adjusting to these new environments and stuff like that but again this is like the 50s and 60s it was kind of like toughen up kid like get over it we got to do what we got to do because dad has this job and it pays the bills right right so in his childhood again he was the one thing that really really sticks out is that he kind of like kept himself which i guess you could say is a red flag but like i feel like for that time and for his circumstance in my opinion not really a red flag but yeah a lot of the articles that i read and a lot of like the research that i was doing was like oh that's a red flag but i'm like i feel like this only a red flag in hindsight right yeah because i mean I know a bunch of kids that are really quiet when they're kids because kids are kids, you know, especially if they don't get out a lot or something like that. Like, Or if you're moving a lot like he was. Yeah, like, you're not comfortable around people and also... Why I mean, open up if you're going to move? Exactly. You like, know? You don't want to make friends or be personable to other people because you don't want to get attached and then leave and have no one again. Exactly. So it's not really anything like out of the ordinary for a kid who's like constantly moving yeah so on the evening of january 3rd 1971 um around nine or ten o'clock the family had turned in for the night um herbert who is charlie's father was in the bathroom shaving his face and um his mother isle was eight months pregnant at the time and she was in the shower Brant, who was then aged like 13, he ended up walking into the bathroom with his father's handgun and shot his father in the back and shot his mother point blank in the shower. And he ended up getting the gun anyway from his dad's dresser. Of course. So it's like he was already trained and he already knew how to work the gun. Him and his father um, used to do like small game hunting, you know, like... I guess rabbits and yeah. squirrels and I don't know what else. I mean, but... he's 13. My brother got his first gun when he was 12. Yeah. Cause you want, like, you, if you're going to be leaving your kid alone at the house, like you kind of want to make sure that they're repaired. And yeah. I guess hunting was kind of, it's kind of a good bonding moment with dad. So of course he was like well versed in it and all that yeah, kind of stuff. But I mean, even then it's like a fun, like you're saying, it's a fun bonding thing. Yeah. Like, people do it. It's, I remember when my brother told me that, he got his first gun when he was 12 because whenever he talked like he took me shooting a little bit ago he had me first shoot his first gun because he was like mm-hmm. i'd never gone shooting before so he was like i want you to shoot my first gun and then he was like yeah dad bought me this when i was 12 and i was like what <laughs> I was like, dad bought you a gun when you were 12 i was like where was i and then i remembered that he's seven years older than me so yeah but when I was twelve, I don't even know. You what didn't I was get doing. a gun. I know I didn't get you were anything. Schools, babe. I don't want to talk about it. I'm moving on. <laughs> um, so, so 
Brant, pretty horrific, goes in, shoots his father in the back, and shoots his mother. Um, and Andrew, Angela, his like older sister, which yes. she's about like two years older than him, was in the room in the same house and kind of like she remembers hearing like a popping sound which whenever i was watching one of the interviews she kind of explained it as like she thought it was just like firecrackers yeah which she even said like didn't make sense but she was just like what else was i supposed to think so she is about to start getting up to go check it out and that's whenever brant um charlie walks into the room and points the gun straight at Angela and pulls the trigger. Luckily for Angela, the gun misfires and just clicks a couple times. And so Charlie gets really, really upset and kind of like aggravated and throws the the gun on the ground. And Angela's first instinct is to kick it underneath the bed, which super good thinking and like quick thinking on her feet for Angela at age 15 like you're looking at your brother pointing a gun at you after you just heard him and now you're trying to like process all that information like yeah did you just shoot mom and dad you know especially she's probably starting to add up all the pieces because she hears her father scream Charlie stop or Mm -hmm. Charlie no and then she also hears the mom say, Angela, call the police. And that's the last thing she hears from her mother. Like, hearing all those things and having it all add up, like, because this happens in a manner of, like, 30 seconds. Yeah, too. it's really, really quick. Like, this whole entire scene happens within 30 seconds where he shoots his dad, shoots his mom, then goes into the room to try to shoot her, but is out of bullets. Like, for her to think that incredibly fast is absolutely insane i don't know what i would do it's a total like fight or flight response you know yeah. what i mean like as we're sitting here thinking about it we're like oh i could never do it i would never think to kick the gun under the bed but mm-hmm. in the actual situation you know like you just want to get it away from him yeah so. and you're thinking probably oh what have i seen in movies or like oh well movies weren't even a th- like a huge thing around this time i'm sure kind of i mean like, they were, like, like it was a- like the james bond era yeah, but I mean, like, when you're 15 in 1971, yeah. like, how often are you going to watch a movie? Like, now we watch a movie every single day because tr- streaming services. Yeah. But, like, back then, you know, how easy is it to just watch a movie? <laughs> yeah. But. So, whenever Angela kicks the a gun underneath the bed, that's whenever the fight for her life kind of begins. Right. So her and Charlie are now wrestling and fighting each other in a physical altercation at this point, and he ends up pinning her down on the ground and starts to strangle her with her bare, like his bare hands, which frightening. Um, and whenever, whenever they're kind of like fighting and tussling, Angela is not really clear on like what exactly happened because again, it happened really, really quickly. But she remembers being like covered in blood at this point Mm -hmm. like she's like my nightgown was covered in blood i had cuts all over me i guess i hit my head on the ground i don't know but she's basically struggling for her life and whenever she looks up into charlie's eyes she realizes that it's like he's not all the way there there's like he's like in a trance-like state is what she literally says and she somehow says something that snaps him out of it And he 
kind of just like comes to and is like what happened what am i doing here how like he's he's obviously distraught and very confused one of the things that i had seen and like researched a little bit when looking at this case was that she had just like to try to knock him out of it had tried to say like oh i love you Uh like that hint of like love and care and stuff is the thing that snapped him out of it was saying i love you so weird right so for her to think like okay i don't know what else to do like he's not stopping what if instead of trying to fight back i come at him with love you know what i mean kind of like um whenever you see people like to get away from their assailants they act like they're into it to get their assailants to trust them so that they can get out of the situation yeah that's kind of what it seems like Angela was trying to do because then after she says that and he snaps out of it and he stops fighting her she then like has a whole conversation with him where he's like you're not gonna leave me right like you can't leave me after this because you can listen to her testimony and it's so sad to listen to like how she tells this whole story of the whole thing that happens and he basically is just like, you're not going to leave me, right? And she's like, no, I promise I won't leave you. I promise I won't leave you. While in the back of her head the entire time she's thinking, how fast can I get away from him? Yeah, like I'm literally lying to him through right. my teeth. And the second she has a chance to get away from him, she runs out of the door. And while she's running, just screaming bloody murder, all she's hearing is him saying in the background, you said you wouldn't leave me. Which is heartbreaking. Like, I feel for him, kind of. But, like... But, like, come on. You know what I mean? That's only written in movies. That is so creepy and... So sad. And, like, to this day, she still deals with hearing him say, you wouldn't leave me, you said you wouldn't leave me, knowing full well that she was lying to him the entire time. For good reason. For good reason. Like, totally 100% support her lying to him because... You know, if she wouldn't have lied to him, who knows what could have happened. Mm -hmm. So she runs out. She's screaming bloody murder for help. And she hears him screaming back at her. You wouldn't leave me. You wouldn't leave me. And she just runs directly to the closest neighbor's door. And she tries to lock and it doesn't work. And so then by this time she looks back and Charlie has actually made it down the steps. And he's like outside of the front door. Yeah. So she's like terrified because now he's down the stairs she thought she got away from him but he knows that she lied like now he's gonna really try to come after her yeah and the first door she tried no one's answering and it's locked so she like beelines it for the next door though yeah and then that one someone like finally answers Mm -hmm. and they like get through and then charlie knocks on the door and tells her with absolute zero emotion I just shot my mom and dad. Like, Ugh. no emotion, just completely, like, sociopathic, I don't know what I would do just if, nothing. I don't know what I would do if I was the neighbor who had to listen to that and just, like, look at the girl who's covered in blood. Yep. And then now looking at a 13-year-old boy who... I don't know if I was walking down the street. I would think a 13-year-old boy is pretty harmless. Like, I could take a 13-year-old boy. Seeing as I'm built like a 13-year-old boy, I'm pretty yeah. sure I could take a 13-year-old exactly. boy. So it's just like, 
you just shot your mom and dad. Like, you literally just tried to kill your entire family. Like, in disbelief. That's what I would be in. So, that neighbor ends up, like, go ahead. I was gonna say, you probably wouldn't believe him. No. At first. But then, like, obviously seeing the girl and stuff. Yeah. Covered in blood. Then you'd be like, okay, you're probably, probably, that's, that's probably what happened. (laughs) Yeah. So, she, like, she ends up calling the police and, like, the police get there. They do the whole nine. They end up finding the dad, which luckily survived. Mm -hmm. Somehow, some way, ended up surviving. Um, which... Can you imagine the emotional trauma he might be going through seeing as his son just shot him point blank for no reason? Yeah. Like, you're having a normal evening. Nothing has ever happened. And then just and out then of nowhere. Happens. So, like, later on, Herbert does identify as his assailant as his son, his own blood, his own flesh and blood being the person that shot him. And so since Charlie was only 13 years old... They can't really, like, sentence him to prison for life for murder, like... Because the mother did actually pass away. Yeah. Right? Which, she ended up actually dying, which, I mean, not luckily, but she... They believe that she died, like, instantly as soon as he shot her. So, at least she didn't suffer. Kind of makes me feel a little bit better, but still killing your mother and now you have to live with that blood on your hands at the age of 13 there's a lot of growing up that's happening within a few short seconds i mean there's got to be something super interesting to say the least about the situation between the mother and the father because he shot his dad just once yeah but he shot his mom like six or seven times a lot of people say it's for jealousy of the baby yeah that's the only thing I could think of, you know, if he was, like, because he was also a mama's boy, right? Yeah. Like, being a mama's boy, and then you already have one older sister and two younger sisters, like, and that 13 years old is, like, such a pivotal, like, stage of life. Oh, yeah. You're going through lots of changes. Yeah. Physically, tr- emotionally, mentally. You're trying to figure so many things out. Puberty. So, exactly. So, I'm sure that... There probably was some jealousy that maybe, I guess, had something to do with it. I mean, there's zero explanation for any of this, honestly, because it, like you're saying, it's just so out of the blue. And we can only believe so much what Charlie says, you know? Yeah. Like, as much as I want to believe him and what he's saying and that he's telling the truth, I don't, I just don't know if I can. So, like, they end up sending him to a mental hospital. Instead of prison, because again, he's only 13. Yeah. And they can't charge him super because he's so young. And both his dad and Angela both confirmed that, like, he looked like he was in some sort of a trance, which kind of, I guess, helped his case in pleading the insanity plea. So a year later, after being in the mental hospital, his father, I guess, ridden with guilt or just wanting to get his son out of there, ends up getting him successfully discharged from this mental hospital after only a year of treatment which i feel like is not long enough for shooting and killing your mom no but the other thing too about the mental hospital was that it was a really really far drive from where his father like the brant family lived yeah so their household was like really far away from the mental hospital so the dad had to like was obviously gonna want to visit his son all the time and it was just like a really far drive and i guess like 
the drive was really difficult all the time and then just all of the stress on the family from losing the mother, the unborn child, mm-hmm. and then, you know, your brother being in, you know, mental hospital for killing them and then having to still, like, go on through life taking care of the two younger siblings because they have no idea what's going on because they're so young. Yeah. They also kept it a secret from them. Yeah. And told the two girls that their mother had died in a car accident. Which is absolutely crazy. Well, like, I don't know what I would do as a parent. I don't know if I would tell them or not tell them. It's, I feel like it's a double-edged sword. Either way you go about it. Yeah. I mean, I like, I don't have any kids, so I have no idea how I would handle it. You at least are a mom, so you kind of. I have one child. (laughs) Yeah, you have like one kid, so, but you kind of still like are an actual mom. So like from your standpoint, being a parent. I would want to protect the other children, but I don't know how I would protect them. I don't know if I would protect them in not telling them, like, ignorance is bliss. Or if telling them would help. I don't know. I still feel like you would tell them once they get old enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because this was kept, like, a family secret for a really, really long time. Oh, yeah. They didn't know until, like, well into adulthood. (laughs) Yeah, like, I feel like at some point you would be like, hey, so you're old enough now to understand this. This is what happened. You know, and then letting them have all the information, you know, because then it also becomes a thing of, like, you know, maybe they don't want their brother around their kids. You know, not that maybe he won't, you know, just because he did this when he was a kid doesn't mean he's not going to do it in adulthood. Just because he did it as a kid, I mean, doesn't... Also doesn't mean that he will do it in adulthood, you know? Like, past could be the past. Yeah, but still wanting to know all the information just to keep your own family safe. Yeah. You know, or knowing, okay, whenever Charlie comes over, make sure all the weapons are locked up. Yeah. You know, like, not to be extra like weird about things but to be a little bit more careful like that's your family you know what I mean if I was like hey I'm gonna have someone over who is a known murderer like I'm sure you would want to know that before I brought them around Levi yes please (laughs) you know like yes please that's a thing that like you would want to know as a parent Mm -hmm. okay I need to watch my family keep my family safe so I need to know the people that are around me well, we'll keep that in mind moving into this next part of the story. So Herbert, after getting him discharged from the mental hospital, ends up moving to kind of like the area of like Ormond Beach area, which for all my non-Floridians, that's just South Florida. Yep. It's South Florida. So they end up moving to Ormond Beach and in about a year, um, their dad ends up remarrying. And whatever he remarries, he actually leaves... Charlie and Angela with the under the care of their grandparents and the father his new wife and the two little girls end up just moving back to Illinois Indiana sorry not Illinois (laughs) I've been talking about Illinois a lot this week so I keep talking about Illinois my dad just came from Illinois so your dad was out of town yeah I didn't know he had to go drive that pump down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, nothing really is kind of like 
nothing's really sending alarms about Charlie, you know, while he's growing up and graduating high school and going through college and all that kind of stuff. It kind of all just stays like hush hush. He's known as like super eccentric. He's like an observer. He's kind of like the cool guy, but he's really, really quiet. So he's like the cool, mysterious guy, basically. Yeah. Um, so another year goes by and Charlie and Angela's dad ends up remarrying and he ends up relocating with the two younger sisters um, to back to Indiana and he leaves Angela and Charlie in the care of their grandparents. And everything else is like pretty hush hush for the most part in between Charlie graduating high school, also again known as a quiet student. Right. Um, kind of like kept to himself and then in college he was also known as kind of like a really cool eccentric guy who just like kind of kept to himself was an observer just like like stayed on the outside and I guess kept to himself but now that you're in college I guess it's cool now so in 1984 he received a degree in electronics and became a radar specialist for Ford Aerospace in Astor which hmm. is also in Florida um, and then in 1986, he ended up marrying his girlfriend, Teresa, or Terry is what she usually went by. Um, and they kind of did like this like elopement and no relatives were allowed to come, which. Interesting. For Charlie is not really like out of the ordinary because he didn't really have too much family left. But. I mean. To his own doing, but. Um, the fact that they didn't invite any of Terry's family was just a little weird, but, you know, say la vie, life moves on. Did Terry know about Charlie's history? So, his sister Angela, Charlie's sister Angela, and her husband, Jim, um, who actually introduced Terry and, um... Charlie and he didn't really think anything of it whenever he like introduced them because he was just like didn't know that they were actually gonna get married or something like that but they ended up kind of having a conversation with uh Charlie and let him know that you know you've got to tell her about your past because this could really affect a relationship and like how terrible would it be if this ended up coming out later on in your relationship yeah you know and so Charlie, of course, agrees. He's like, yeah, 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 I'll tell her. And after they end up getting married, because he wanted Charlie to tell her before they got married, after they ended up getting married with no relatives at the wedding, Jim and Angela ended up coming over. And whenever Jim and Teresa or Terry ended up kind of like having a quiet little moment to themselves, Jim asked her like, oh, when do you guys plan on having kids, right? And Terry's response kind of, like, solidifies the fact that he thinks that, you know, Charlie told Terry Mm -hmm. at some point in time. Or it was just kind of like a coincidence the way that she answered. But she kind of basically said, like, yeah, due to the circumstance and, you know, stuff like that, I don't think that it's, you know, meant for us to have kids. So... I think she he ended up telling her, I guess. I don't know, though, because I feel like if you're going to have a wedding with no relatives and no one there, maybe you're afraid of a relative bringing up 
Ooh. your dirt. You know See, what I, mean? I was thinking that she was just kind of like, eh, okay. Because she's like a very carefree person. That's how everyone describes her. It's right. like super carefree, go with the flow, doesn't matter. Yeah. So I don't know if it was like a spree of like the moment and they were just like, oh yeah, let's just get married. Mm. And then they ended up not inviting any relatives because they were like, eh, don't worry about it. We'll just get eloped. Yeah. Or if it was a, like what you're saying, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Like, as like a, I don't want anyone to accidentally spill the beans on me. So Ooh. let's elope. And her being the carefree person, just being okay with eloping. Because she's like, yeah, sure. Whatever works, dude. Yeah. Or maybe even in the back of his head, it was a spur of the moment thing. Because he was like, if I plan it to be a spur of the moment thing, I know she'll say yes. And I don't have to worry about any relatives. True. Mm-hmm. That's just a... It's just like a random conspiracy little, theory. Yeah, it's just like a random little thing that made me think about it because I was like, hmm, it's really weird that you wouldn't want relatives to be there. But I know from situations I've been in in the past with certain things, uh-huh. I've made certain decisions so that no one would spill the beans about things that I don't want people to know about. True, you know? yeah. So, hmm. Hmm. Ponder on that. Yeah, just an idea. S- just for the old Simmer on that thinking thought. cap. I have my thinking glasses on today, actually. And my simmering pants. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're like simmering pants. Because you like yeah, I, simmer in a pan, I but get they're it. pants. I get it. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think I was the only one that got it. <laughs> well, so. you're the only one I told it to. At this exact moment in time. so Everyone's listening right now, and they still didn't get it. Everyone got it. I know at least one person will think it's funny, and it's my friend Faith. She'll be like, she'll text me we later, and she'll be like, Emily, that was the funniest joke I've ever heard. And I'll be like, Faith. Yeah, because you're saying it right Thank now. Thank you. And she's going to feel obligated to text you because you mentioned her name. Yeah, well, Faith, please text me. <laughs> good one so back to the story yeah so after they get married life just goes on and they're living their best life and settling into their house where they actually purchased a house on big pine key which is the large island that makes up the florida keys so it's really pretty it's just a really nice place to be crystal blue waters just paradise yeah they just wanted to settle down there Oh, wow. It's okay. I moved it around. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. I moved it around because I thought it fit better. Like, at first I had it where you asked. Mm -hmm. Like, originally, like, where you just literally asked me. And then I was like, "Mm, I don't know if I want to, like, mention this first or if I should just, like, wait. But it doesn't really matter. I think they both flow really well. Yeah. I think we'll just keep it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, moving on. So, on September 4th, Hurricane Ivan, I think, was coming through. Let me double check that. I think it was Ivan. One moment. Hurricane. Yes, Hurricane Ivan. Ooh, she knows her hurricanes, y'all. So, on September 2nd of 2004, um, Brant and Terry evacuated from their home, um, right before Hurricane Ivan kind of, like, hit Florida, which in the Florida Keys, it's all the way in the south, and usually most of our hurricanes come 
swooping in from the bottom. So it's really nice to just like try to get up and evacuate as much as possible because, you know, Florida is basically going to be underwater in like a million years or whatever. Right. So they end up getting in contact with Michelle Jones, who's 37, and she's the niece of Terry. And she lives in Orlando. So she invites them, hey, I know that you guys like are living down in the Keys. You guys need a place to stay probably. Come up and just bunk at my house and just hide away from the hurricane here. Um, And Michelle was a successful TV executive for like some sort of golf company. Okay. Um, So she was like pretty well known in the area. Like it was on local TV. It wasn't like broadcasted for the world. But she was pretty well known in in her area for doing that. So um, she was super consistent uh, on keeping in contact with like her mom, especially. And then a couple of her friends as well. Like she would constantly be talking to them, which she did stay in constant communication while the, the brands were there to visit and hiding out from the hurricane. They were like, Michelle's also really close with Terry too, right? Yeah. Super, super close. Had like, Michelle loved Terry and Charlie as, like, being her aunt and uncle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know why. Aunt, uncle, niece, nephew, cousins, all that kind of stuff confuses uh-huh. the crap out of me. Every time I'm like, yep, I know that I'm an aunt, but I also know that that's my nephew, but the connection. But are you an uncle? Ooh, Funkle Emmy. <laughs> That's what I am. Screw the crazy aunt. I'm the Funkle Emmy. Good for you because I will finish telling the story. Um, will so you? <laughs> I will. Well, if can you, you don't, me? I will. Can so you help me? yeah, yeah, of course. Oh my god. Yeah, like I can, I can just like give you a little bit of support wherever you One need it. Let's take a sip to that. Okay. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, Charlie and Terry are staying over at Michelle's, and it's supposed to be, like, the last night that they're there, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, the last night that they're there, and um, Michelle even was going to have one of her friends come over to hang out with all of them, because she's like, it's their last night, like, they're super fun to hang out with, we're all just going to have a fun time. Uh Uh-huh. So, on the evening of September 13th, um, Lisa Emmons was the friend that was supposed to come over, but Michelle discouraged her from coming over and said that Charlie and Terry had been arguing and they had been drinking a lot and it just wasn't going to be a fun time, so they could just hang out maybe another day or something like not that big of a deal you don't want to be around my drunk aunt and uncle exactly and it's still really unclear about like what they were arguing about that night but it obviously just like wasn't good if she was discouraging her friend from coming over you know so she was just like "Mm." and like how awkward is that to have guests over at your house and not only just like drunk because like i'm down for people to come over to my house and get drunk but like also arguing like having a serious argument enough that you don't want friends over yeah what why did you do that 
I was just looking around. You know I get paranoid. Oh my goodness. Stop being paranoid. You're fine. Tell your story. I might be paranoid. <laughs> oh my god, I hate you. <laughs> Tell your story. Stop procrastinating about the parts you don't want to talk about and just talk about them. Well, Emily, you just looked at the door like someone was coming in. Uh, Charlie, stop. <laughs> I shouldn't talk to spirits like that. I really yeah, shouldn't. Should just, it's fucking dangerous. Should, yes. Just cut it out. Shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> Shut it down. So on September 15th, another one of Jones's friends, so Michelle's friends, Debbie Knight, went to her house to check on her because... Michelle? She ha- yeah, she hadn't like answered back to her phone calls and her mom was starting to get really, really concerned. Terry's mom. Yeah, it's two days later. Or no, not Terry's mom. Michelle's mom. Yes. Was getting like really worried and was kind of like, uh, this is really unlike her for not for her to not like respond back to like phone calls and to not, you know, talk on the phone, whatever. So Again, super weird. So her mom and her friend are like, you know what? I'm in the area. I'm just going to stop by and go check out like the house to make sure that everything's yeah. okay. And so she goes to the front door. Her friend Knight um, goes to the front door and tries to open it, which it's locked, which again, nothing out of the ordinary. Of course, your front door is going to be locked. I don't know if I would be more stressed out if the door was unlocked or locked. I feel like if it was unlocked, I'd be like, uh. Yeah, I feel like if I hadn't answered you for like, let's let's be generous, three weeks because I don't answer very often anyways. Me neither, it's but okay. But if you had like tried calling me and I didn't pick up, I feel like then you'd be like, mm, I'm a little, okay. a little sus. I would if, let it go on for like two days and then I'd be like, okay, I'm showing up at your door at this point. And if my door was unlocked, you'd be like, oh mm, no. I ain't going in there. No. <laughs> Call the popo. Exactly. So finding it locked, eh, you know, not out of the ordinary. Everyone locks their doors, whether they're home or not home, honestly. Yeah. Almost no one leaves their doors unlocked. Uh, just, you know, <laughs> safety. <laughs> safety. Safety is cool. So she tries to enter the house through the garage. And she can see, like, through the windows one of the most horrific sights which is Charlie Brandt's decomposing body hanging from the rafters from a sheet. And after she sees his body hanging there, she calls the police because she can't get into the house. Yeah. You know, so she's like freaking out, obviously. She can't get in the house. And I'm sure there's a part of her that doesn't want to go into the house because she doesn't want to know what other horrors might await her. Oh, yeah. And like, honestly, thankfully so, because... The first responding police to get there that knock down and, like, go into the house, run out almost immediately and start throwing up in the front yard. Oh, my God. Because of the horrors that are in the house. Like, <sighs> multiple police have said that they, like, went in, saw the horrors that were there and immediately had to run out and start throwing up because it was so absolutely disgusting. And also, it's two days past the last communication so who knows how long those bodies have been there and once you die like you start decomposing like pretty fast yeah you know what i mean especially in florida it's humid it's hot like yeah gross so the horrors that these policemen 
unfortunately had to find was first that Terry had been stabbed seven times in the chest while lying on a couch and Michelle had been decapitated and disemboweled with her heart and organs removed and her head had been placed next to her body like cut off and placed next to her body which like I don't even whenever I hear stories about people cutting bodies up Mm -hmm. like I cannot imagine how difficult it is to actually cut someone's body because like but you can like physically bite your finger off but your body won't let you do it but think about that like you can literally bite off your finger but then I think about like the times that I've had to like cut through like a sweet potato (laughs) and I almost completely stab myself every time because it's so difficult to cut through like literally me every time I cut a watermelon like and all I do is I think about I'm like how hard is it to cut through like human like bones muscle determination you know what I mean for sure and like the weapons that he had to use to cut them and stab them was just Michelle's kitchen knives that's so creepy right like being killed killed by your own kitchen knives yes and like I don't know about y'all's kitchen knives, but, like, I know my kitchen knives are not the sharpest, you know? Uh-huh. Like, they're they're kind of dull. Well, you know my dad. Yes. So, but, you know, maybe Michelle had really dull knives, or maybe she had really sharp knives, but, like, if you have dull knives, that's going to be even harder to cut through human flesh and, like, really completely dismember someone. So, like, oh my and goodness. And how... Mm, medical everything was it was just very like it was done with skill this was not his first time and the police could tell that the autopsy report could tell you that like this definitely wasn't his first rodeo the fact that he knew where everything was and all that kind of stuff so this kind of like started the whole entire investigation right and this is whenever the police started kind of like opening up other cold cases that were also in that area of like mm-hmm. missing women and missing children and all that kind of stuff. So they end up going to the Brant's residence in Big uh, Big Pine Key. And that revealed that he was a monthly subscriber to Victoria's Secret Catalog. Ew. That he himself, not Terry. Ew. Um, and that he had an extensive collection of surgery themed books um, posters, clippings, and he regularly searched online for autopsy photos and snuff films, um, snuff film websites depicting women getting, like, abused. And, like, going back to, like, the surgery theme books and posters, he actually had a poster of, like, a human body that was, like, kind of, like, filleted to where you could see where all, of, like, the nerves and all, like, the specific things of like your body so are. what you would see in a science class yes exactly <laughs> like precisely like he had one of those in the bedroom like on the bedroom door like not not in his office not in like the hallway or like I which mean, for I, a guy who has a degree in electronics and ended up getting a job at and an aerospace like your it's just bedroom weird. your bedroom door i don't know about you but like I can see my bedroom door from my bed and yeah. 
I don't think that would ever make me feel uh, settled or I sexy. if Terry <laughs> ever thought twice about his weird obsession right? with, you know, the human body. Right? Like, I feel like you would have to think twice about it. If Dylan just all of a sudden started coming home with posters of bodies and started subscribing to, like, a bunch of these random, like, well, I'm sure he kept stuff. it. I'm sure he kept it a secret. Victoria's the poster secret. on the bedroom door. I'm talking about the magazine subscription. But still, if Dylan came home and was like, "Hey, babe, I want to put this poster of, uh, like basically what you would see as like a medical student's poster on the bedroom door," I'd be like, mm, mm, "No, red flag." um absolutely not does not go with the feng shui of the bedroom and also like doesn't that's not something i want to look at like you've studied like you're not in school yeah uh why why do you want that in the room i guess it could be his like hobby or something i don't i don't know don't but don't defend i'm not defending but (laughs) i don't know i know you're not defending so He was also, like, really detailed in the fact that he kept a, like, a log of all of his, like, miles of where he traveled and, like, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, also kind of weird and OCD in a way, but most people were just kind of like, "Eh, okay. So, once they got to go through that book and kind of, like, match up some of the dates and the times and you know, where he was logging in, they were able to kind of, like, match him to almost 24 other murders of missing women. So just a couple of them were up up to 26, I apologize. Not oh. 24, 26. Oh. Uh, we're talking about real human lives here, so we're going to make sure that we're correct on that. Yeah, um, probably so a good idea. <laughs> yeah, probably a good idea. So <laughs> some, like, really, really big ones that really fit the ammo that he was kind of going with, with the decapitating and removing, you know, body parts from the body mm-hmm. in such a surgical manner was Carol, Su- Carol Sullivan, who went missing in 1978, and she was 12 years old. So she was abducted from, like, a school bus stop in Volusia County on September 20th of of 1978 and her skull was found in a bucket which led police authorities and investigators to presume that you know she was murdered and then decapitated right and brent was 20 years old and lived in Volusia county at the time but he couldn't really be tied to the crime in any other way but Mm -hmm. i think we can all make an educated guess Um, In 1988, Lisa Saunders, she was 20 years old, was beaten, stabbed, and dragged from her car in Big Pine Key, which, as we all know, is where um, Charlie and Terry lived in December of 1988. And her heart was missing whenever she was found. Um, But like Michelle. Yeah. But again, whenever they found her body, they didn't know if vultures had eaten it or, you know, like a creature had come along, a little critter came along and ate it. But again, weird to have just the heart missing. Right. Um, In 1989, Sherry Perishimo, who was 38, she was a homeless woman. um, They found her partially clothed body July 16th. Um, Sherry Perishmo, 38, a homeless woman, in uh, 1989, was found partially clothed on July 16th 
um, near the North Pine Channel Bridge big by Big Pine Key, mm-hmm. um, where she lived on a dinghy. And her throat had been slashed. Her head had been nearly severed. So very similar. Again, very way. similar. Um, probably because he didn't have the tools on a boat like mm-hmm. he thought he would. Mm-hmm. Um, and her body was extensively mutilated. And again, her heart was removed. It was gone. Uh, She was found less than 1,000 feet from where Brant lived. And Brant matched the composite sketch of a man seeing, um, of a man seen crossing the U.S. Route 1 near where uh, Parashow's body was found. No. The night that she was murdered. Yeah, super crazy. And Terry had further confided in her brother-in-law that she suspected that that Brant was the one who killed her. Yeah. It, like... These things could be said to people and kind of like passing and kind of like thrown in the back of your mind like, oh, no, don't worry about it because you think that it can't happen to you. But pay attention when people are coming to confide in you because like it could be true. (laughs) Well, like the other thing, too, is like if Terry had any suspicions about it, like Terry kept a detailed diary of every day. Like, she had a calendar diary kind of thing where she would just put in random notes every day, like, oh, this happened this day, this happened this day, and almost everything in it was pretty normal and positive, but then there would be some random entries of, like, Charlie didn't come home last night, he went drinking, Charlie was out till 3 a.m. drinking, Mm. like, all these random things, so I'm sure if, like... She's keeping track of this stuff in her I diary. I wonder if the dates kind of, like, coincided. They yeah. probably did. So I'm sure if, like, she's thinking, well, he didn't come home that night or he didn't come home till really late. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he has anything to do with it. And then seeing the composite s- sketch and being like, oh. Mm, that's my husband. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. No. And in 1995, which... <laughs> A star was born in 1995. Myself. Um, <laughs> Darlene Toller. I'm just, I'm joking. It's, I hate you. Yeah, it's fine. Um, who was 38 was a sex worker from Miami whose body was missing and um, her head and her heart was also missing as well. <laughs> and it was wrapped in uh, plastic wrap and it Ew. was discovered by the highway. Just chilling. Chilling. Just chilling. And Brant, coincidentally, could, I can never say that word. Yeah, you got this. Coincidentally. Is that how you say it? It's not. Mm-hmm. You've Are got you sure? this. Yeah. You're so supportive. I, I got really you, baby. appreciate it. Um, also used the same highway. And he, again, kept a record of all of his miles and all that kind of stuff. And it shows an entry for 100 miles. The basically the driving distance from there and back on that same day that's just awful yeah so those are like the the main ones that like he really were attached to because like it fit the mo it fit the dates it fit the you know his like driving journal whatever all that kind of stuff but it's like it's still a cold case because he ended up hanging himself so they don't really know how to disclose and like close all those cases that he could have been tied to to give those families some peace so that's the one kind of like drawback to cold cases is that we never really get a final a final say or anything like that it's like there is some justice in the fact that he's not on the streets and he's not doing it anymore but also 
I would really just like that peace in mind for those families to know like, okay, I can put this to rest. This is what happened, which it's not good to hear. Right. But it's, I, I feel like it's almost worse to not know anything at all. Yeah. And to always have that little shred of hope. I think Ugh. hope kills you more than it helps you sometimes. Yeah. In those instances. So it's just like. That sucks. It, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what yeah. I was trying to say. There's just certain things about life that there's no word to describe how absolutely awful and sucky they are. And that's just. That's it. Yeah. And meanwhile, his sister Angela is just like going through her own stuff while all of this is happening, which right. we can do a whole other episode just on Angela. Yeah, especially I don't know really anything about her. I know a lot about the Charlie Brandt case, but not about Angela. So like I, I kind of want to know. I started to digress a little bit and it's pretty interesting like, and it's pretty... It, it has some some surprises in there for yeah, you so like, i'd love to know. maybe kind of like dive into that one day yeah. if everyone's interested yeah just let us know uh if you have anything that you specifically yeah send us requests yeah. we're not only just doing florida we yeah. would love to do <laughs> i know all sorts of stuff but it's a little bit more fun because like florida just really doesn't get the rep <laughs> i say rep like i'm proud like yeah, yeah, florida. Yep. Yeah, yeah. we like crazy people whoop, whoop. um but yep it's a lot of the stuff that I don't know, and it kind of, like, creeps me out more knowing that it's, like, here, here. in my own home. Yeah. Not my own home, but, like, in the in own your state, own state that I live in. Yeah. Super creepy. Well, uh, follow us on Instagram and Ooh, Twitter. Yes. At Do Not Sleep Alone. And, um. Follow that rule. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you can also email us. At do not sleep alone official at gmail.com for any requests, suggestions, like creepy stories of your own. If you have any like connections to any of the cases that we've ever talked about before, I'd love to share some like creepy, you know, follower stories on here at the end of the episode. That would be so much fun. Yeah. And um, if you ever suspect your husband of murdering someone, uh, Please tell the police. Yeah, definitely uh, go to report that. And remember, don't, don't sleep, sleep alone. alone.